0: Welcome to Pro Street Church. Never been here before. We have been in the mix for seven years now. I'm Pastor Brent. Get to lead the crazy movement known as Pro Street Church. Downtown San Antonio, making it happen so it is good. You guys may be seated in the house just for a second. We're jumping in, going all in here today. Now, we are a church after the unchurch. We love seeing people that are far from God, whatever that looks like. Far from God could be, man, you are the worst of the worst, Right? you like a professional sinner, you know what I mean? Or it could be you're just disconnected, right? You grew up in a hyper-religious church, didn't build a relationship with God. You went to college, manipulated by a professor to believe something that wasn't real or true. Now you're coming back to the reality of a humanistic, you know, a naturalistic mentality and a philosophy that's completely contrary to God's word. And you're experiencing life and realizing, wait, that professor lost his dang mind. So what is real? you're trying to figure out what is real now until so you walk through these doors. Praise God that you're in church here today because we do serve a God that is real. As I tell our church all the time, either it's real or it's not. And if it's not real, go 50, go do something else. But what we do believe is Jesus Christ is real. The power of God is real. The, the gifts of, the, uh, of God did not die with the apostles. They're alive and well today. And if we tap into him, we move them. and we, we have a God that has sent his Holy Spirit to walk with us on this journey. So if you're new and you're visiting, man, that's who we are. We love Jesus. He is the ultimate truth. There is no higher truth. There's no way to get to heaven except through him. So you're in a good place that if you want to stand upon some firm ground, as Jesus said, my principles, my teaching, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to stand upon a church that is uncompromised, you're here. Good, good to have you. So good to have you at church here today. We're gonna build, and we are building a movement here in downtown San Antonio, uncompromised by culture, completely informed by the truth of God's word. So come along for the journey. We got uh, your next step is to go to our open house, which is coming up at the end of July. We'd love to see you and come be a part. That's how you take a next step inside of the church. Now, we are today in a series called Wise Up. We're on our third week, and we've been talking about inside of this series that in the culture in which we live in here today, it is very easy to be manipulated simply because you don't know what you believe. If you don't know what you believe, then man, it is so easy for you just to go with the the thoughts and the whims of society that are just present today, right? Paul would talk about this and hey, don't get caught up in useless talk, right? Know Jesus, know what it is, take every thought captive, right? Submit it to Jesus Christ that it may come into alignment with what truth is. And so if we don't wise up, right? We live in a world here today that believes wisdom is tied to knowledge, Knowledge is one part of the three-part equation. Knowledge is, cool, I have some understanding. There's some really smart people that are experts in what they do, but all they have is a knowledge in a specific field. They're not wise, right? They lack understanding. And if you don't got the fear of the Lord, man, forget it. If you don't have the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, as Proverbs 1, 7 talks about, fear of the Lord is the start of wisdom. It starts in the fear of the Lord. So we're having a whole series here to say, hey, Christians in America... It's time to wise up so that you can rise up. Because if you are unable to wise up in the truth of God's word, you will not be able to rise up in the culture in which we live in here today. And so that's why we're having this conversation. So just very simply before I introduce our guest speaker here today, this is the lens in which we look through. The first thing is fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, fear of the Lord is the start of wisdom. So if you have a lens, right, you just picture, put your glasses of fear of the Lord on. Then you move towards knowledge what is knowledge? I'm going to come to a level of knowledge, information to download into my life okay? You can do that in many different fields. You can get knowledge in multiple different places. You definitely want to have the knowledge of God's Word, right? All 66 books, you know all the authors that wrote it, everything else. you want all the knowledge of what God has for his humanity. Then you want to lead towards understanding. Proverbs talks about get understanding, get wisdom, get understanding, right. You have this ability to understand. If you have those three components, then you'll live in wisdom that honors God, right? All you have to do is be smart and knowledgeable to honor man, but you wanna be wise that honors God. You gotta get fear of the Lord in you, you gotta have some knowledge, and you got to have understanding, biblical understanding, not man's understanding. Man's understanding is what's on display here today. So that's the, the context in the series in which we're in, Wise Up. We're having some good conversations, it's going to go for a while, we'll be going, who knows, all the way maybe to the end of August, I don't know, I'm still figuring it out, we'll figure it out, but we're going to have a good conversation. Today I got a buddy in town, um, Reward Zabanda, Mr. Reward Zabanda, Pastor Reward, They, they call you Pastor, Pastor Zabanda. There we go. Uh, Rewards Abanda was on team with us when we first started the church. Literally, he will probably share a little bit of his story. But today, uh, he serves at World Vision. He is an executive pastor. He is an interim executive pastor. Is that what they call you? Interim executive pastor. Now, I don't know what the title is now because he's in transition. But he's on team, on staff over at Upper Room. If anybody knows Upper Room in Dallas. It's in Dallas. Not Fort Worth, Dallas and uh, he is on team, but he's a, a friend. He's been a, a longtime friend of our church, and man, a lot of people know who he is. Uh, he's got a big personality of what you're gonna see here today, but we're blessed and privileged to have the one and only reward. Zabondo
1: up in the house, my dude. Have at it. That's our baby. <laughs> Let's go baby. Awesome. Let's go baby. Well, good morning Pearl Street Church. How is everybody doing this morning? Oh, oh, oh they, they, they didn't tell y'all, they didn't tell y'all that I'm not from uh, San Antonio, they didn't tell you guys that I'm from uh, a place about 400 miles north of here and about 5,000 to 10,000 miles east, a place called Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, right? And in Playa Zimbabwe, when we have a conversation with people, we get down. You know what I'm saying? We love response. It's a hollaback type of conversation. So when I greet, I want you guys to make me feel at home because then we get the full African experience. Are you guys ready for that? Yeah. So good morning, Proster Church. How y'all doing this morning? Yeah. All right. All right. That's what I am talking about. Hey, my name is Reward Sabanda. Everybody say Sabanda. Sabanda. And I am a son of this house. Like, I genuinely am a son of this house. I don't say that lightly. I, um, It was such an honor and a privilege when I first came from Dallas um, a couple of years ago now to be a part of this house. And I still remember I walked in, and it was just a giant open space. And for the first time, I met this man called... Uh, Pastor Brent, and he was a visionary. This is before this wall was here. This is before this stage was built. And he began to communicate vision. He was like, this is the type of place this is going to be. This is what God's going to do. And true to his word, God has built everything that you see here was not here. And that is because you have a good Pastor. Him and Heather are just phenomenal leaders. He speaks so much wisdom into my life and he hates it when I go along in honoring him. But hey, he may have an opinion, but I have the mic. Come on, somebody. So I got five more minutes of this. But, anyways, uh, if you guys don't mind, can we just honor Pastor Brent real quick for his yes? Man, I, I, I love this house because, um, and I call it a house because house is, is family and. Uh, I have parents in this house. I have Joyce and Javier. They're my parents in this house. Come on. I have the Fernandezes in this house. I don't know where they're at, but they're there. Oh, there we go. See, that's the parent corner over there. Come on. Your boy doing good. Let's go. <laughs> and I have some of my closest and best friends in ministry over here, like Brittany and Brett and just uh, Derek and Brianna, just some of the incredible people I saw. Hey, Brianna, just good Clara, good people. And so it is genuinely an honor to be here and we're going to have a conversation on wise up how many of you guys know that if we had more wisdom in general as a civilization 2020 would have gone different come on how many of you guys had no time for 2020 like I, I got I, I got ain't nobody got time for what 2020 brought you know what I'm talking about exactly and I feel like a lot of it what it exposed was that in in our relationships in our leadership more than we need gifting we need wisdom And it made sense why Solomon says wisdom is the principal thing. So I've enjoyed the Wise Up conversation. And uh, I love Pastor Brent's communication. See, Pastor Brent is a preacher. Come on, somebody. I mean, he will like drop an analogy over here, make you laugh and everything, come around and just grab your heart and you're like, oh my God, what's happening? Right? Because he is a preacher. He will preach the paint off the walls. And preaching is, whenever we communicate about the word of God, We're after transformation, right? Preaching is transformation through inspiration. So you inspire, you speak to something on the inside of people, kind of like Braveheart. Think Braveheart, like those speeches, they will not take our freedom. And it makes people rise up, right? And be who they're called to be. That's preaching, that's what preaching does. It's transformation through inspiration. I'm not that. (laughs) What, (laughs) what, what, What your boy is, is a teacher. Everybody say teacher. Now, teaching is different from preaching because if the goal is still transformation, but teaching is transformation through information. Everybody say information. information. So if you are waiting for your boy to preach the paint off the walls, and everything, you're going to be waiting a long time. You know what I'm saying? But I want you guys to shift your perspective and mind right now and understand that why I'm here to give you concepts and things for your cognitive doggy bag. I'm here to give you things you can take home and use in your daily life. So because of that, every good teacher right, goes to the text. So we're going to be reading a lot, like a lot, lot of the Bible, right? So if you, if you don't have a Bible, right, just go ahead and download the app now. We'll be here in a minute. No, I'm kidding. But, but we are going to be going deep because I, I genuinely believe with this, when it comes to wisdom, wisdom is an operational thing. It's operational. It changes the way our relational dynamics with people. And so it is going to be a, a, a teaching conversation And I want you guys to have that because when you're expecting a preaching, you're open and you listen with your heart. But when you're expecting a teaching, you shift and you listen with your mind and you let the Lord transform your mind first and then your heart. And so that's what this is um, going to be. Now, I'd love for us to stand up for the reading of the word. I know it's the culture of this house. I was here and everything. We stand up for the things that we honor. So can we stand up? We're going to read one scripture together. I'm going to read one scripture. We're going to pray and then we're going to jump into it. Cool. Awesome. Right. Judges 3, verse 1 to 2. Let's all read it like one big happy family. 1, 2, 3, let's go. These are the nations that the Lord left in the land to test those Israelites who had not experienced the wars of Canaan. He did this to teach. Everybody say, teach. Teach warfare to generations of Israelites who had no experience. Everybody say, no experience. No experience in battle. The worst thing you can have in life is no experience. Come on. No experience is like having no credit. Come on, somebody. I still remember I married my wife and she told me this. She's like, credit is the GPA of adults. I was like, Oh, that's deep. So experience is kind of the same way, right? Before you do something, you have to know where you're going. So that's the conversation. Father, we just come before you, Lord. We just take some time to open our hearts to you because it is only the council of heaven that has the ability and the power to change who we are and where we're going. So we just put our minds at rest right now and we lean into who you've called us to be. And I pray, Father, that not concepts or ideas, but the council of heaven would find perfect expression through these lips of clay. That your word would be mixed with faith in the hearts of the hearers and it would bring profiting. I come before and I thank you for every single heart represented here and the people that are watching, that they will have an encounter, not with an African guy, but with the living God. And so I bless you and I say, Holy Spirit, you are the CEO of this conversation. Arrest hearts. Teach us, blessed teacher. I ask and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. High five the person next to you and you may be seated. You may be seated. And let's go. Now, the, the, the title for my um, for my conversation today, still uh, it, it, in, in, in cadence with the Wise Up series, is the wisdom of warfare. And I'm calling it battlephilia. Everybody say battlephilia, right? It's 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 philia is the opposite of phobia, right? Phobia, fear of stuff. So battlephilia is people who love battle right people who love battle how many of you guys know that in order for us to stand up for our faith and be literal like professing and practicing Christians we are going to have to learn how to fight yeah. so this conversation i'm calling it battle philia because my hope is that the holy spirit will rest your hearts and raise a generation of people that love to fight so this is a conversation about wisdom the wisdom of warfare the wisdom of warfare. Now I know you guys are just like, oh my gosh, what does this guy know about battle and, and, and fighting and everything? Why is he even up there? Is he like our, our diversity speaker for the year? You know, we gotta get one black guy up there once a year and everything. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, PB. <laughs> he's got that, oh you know, he's got that look on his face. No, I am a bona fide Zulu warrior. Remember, I told you guys that I come from Zimbabwe. I'm a Zulu, I literally went to Zulu like battle school. And I know, like, I can literally see the skepticism on some of y'all's faces. So I knew that you guys would not believe me. So I brought a picture of me graduating from warrior school. Do you guys wanna see it? Check this out. This is a legitimate picture (laughs) of me graduating from warrior school. And I know haters are gonna say it's fake and Photoshop, but that is good old bona fide African photography right there. But, but no, the truth is, the truth is every single one of us are called to warfare. All of us are called to warfare. Do you know why we're called to warfare? We're called to warfare because God has given us good things. God has given us good things. And when God has gives us good things, how many of you guys know that good things attract thieves? I still remember when I went to personal church, someone broke into my apartment. You remember that? This was before the days of GoFundMe. So, uh, and I still remember, they broke it. They ch- took everything. They didn't have insurance. It was like, literally, it was people from the church who came in like, here, you can have my TV or you can have whatever it is. But I noticed then, and you guys know this, that good things attract thieves, right? There's a scripture I want to share with you guys here. I'm sorry, I'm a little um, um, uh, out of... Uh, uh, Yeah, I'll mess around with it and everything. But James 1 verse 17 says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or shifts a casting shadow. So that means everything about your life that is good comes from God. Your marriage is good, therefore it comes from God. Right? Your children are good. I don't care if they're acting all demonized and everything. Your children are good, therefore they come from God. Right? Your job, even if you serve that boss, you know what I'm talking about, is good because it comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. Now, I love what it says right here. I'm gonna take a little segue because it says good and perfect, right? The word perfect there is teleos, and teleos speaks to maturity. So there are some things which are good, but not mature, and if you get something which is good in the wrong frame time frame it becomes detrimental to you how many of you guys know that a um a tesla is good come on that's a good gift you know what i'm talking about right our pastors drive good cars it's a good gift but how many of you guys know that if you give your 10 year old a tesla it's a good gift but not in perfect timing therefore it becomes destructive so in its right timing, right, when timing meets with God's provision, that's what you call a good and perfect gift, and those things are from the Father of lights, in whom there's no shadow of variableness or doubting. Why it puts that in the end is because some people will be like, well, I had a good gift, and then it's like, why would God take this away from me? It's like, well, maybe it was good, but maybe it wasn't the perfect timing. I don't know why I went there, but I feel like that's, that's for someone. Now, every good gift is going to attract thieves. So you got to learn how to fight because the devil, we literally there's a genuine enemy and the enemy is going to come against everything that you have, right? Sometimes he uses people, sometimes he uses situations, but the enemy is coming for your good thing because good things attract thieves, right? John 10.10 10 says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. So this conversation back to our, our text, is for a generation that has forgotten or never learned the art of warfare. And they did not learn the art of warfare because like the, over, uh, the Israelites over here because we have been bor- born into entitlement. Born into a lot of the people in this context that I'm talking to. Born into the most blessed nation in the world. Do you understand that the concept of more than enough is primarily and predominantly American thing? Do you know that when you go to a lot of places in Europe, let's not even talk about Africa or even Asia, there's no such thing as bottomless pizza, come on. (laughs) Soda fountains, free refills, you know what I'm talking about, unlimited minutes, all these things come to a nation that has been blessed. But with blessing, most of the times comes a lethargy, right? If you've never, if you've never been opposed, then you become entitled. And that is how we've spawned an entitled generation. And the reason, let me go here for a second, and the reason that our nation is going in the direction that it is and everything that's happening is because there was a generation, our generation, my generation, that was handed the perfect, I'm talking about the perfect divine experiment, one nation under God. But they were never taught how to defend the things that they believe in. And literally, we are losing the very values that we value before our very eyes. Because we have spawned a generation that does not know how to defend. See, this is the same thing that was happening with Israel. Because the fathers, because they had nothing and they fought to attain it, then the enemies knew that they could fight to defend it. But if you have never, right, if you inherited it, then you have no context for warfare. And because of that, you get to lose it. And so primarily, we have a value situation because we don't know how to value the things that we've been given. But now more than ever, if you look every single day, our our, our, liver, our worship liberties, our civil liberties, things are under attack. And we're losing them every single day because we do not know how to fight. So we wake up everything. We're the most reactionary generation ever. Oh my gosh, did you see what happened? Did you see what they just passed? Did you see whatever? Why is that? Because when the time was right, we did not learn how to stand up and fight we did not put people in places of authority in the Supreme Court and everything to where they could do our laws. And now we have to be a reactionary generation. So if you have not been versed in the art of offense, then you will be faced with a burden of defense. And that is the conversation and that is the generation I'm talking to right now. And I'm going to teach you just very simple things. Just very simple things, techniques of how to wage spiritual warfare. I'm not talking about the whole creepy thing to where you're screaming at demons and everything all day. No, I'm talking about straight up to fight for the things that you love and you believe in, right? And that's wisdom. Why do I call it the wisdom of warfare? I want to tell you guys about a a, a story. Let's go to school. Who was the wisest king in the Bible? Solomon, right? Across every context, across every denomination, we all know Solomon was the wisest person in the world. Why was he wise? Because God gave him wisdom. You guys remember this? 1 Kings 3, verse 5 to 9 says, One day while in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Solomon, ask for anything you want, and I will give it to you. Solomon answered, my father David, your servant, was honest and did what you commanded. You were always loyal to him, and you gave him a son who is now king. Lord God, I am your servant, and you've made me king in my father's place. But I'm very young and know so little about being a leader, and now I must rule your chosen people, even though there are too many of them to count. Please let me be wise and teach me the difference between right and wrong. Then I will know how to rule your people." If I don't, there's no way I could rule this great nation of yours. Why did Solomon know to ask for wisdom? I'm going to tell you right now. If God appears to me and says, what do you want? I'm not thinking wisdom. I'm telling you all right now. I got a list. Come on, somebody. I got a list and wisdom ain't even on that bad boy. You know what I'm talking about? But Solomon, before he had the wisdom to ask for wisdom, knew to ask for wisdom. Here's what's crazy. It says right here, at night when Solomon was in a dream, was in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Do you understand that God had a conversation with his subconscious, and he asked for wisdom in a dream. He was sleeping in a dream. How many of you guys are like, oh, Lord, please never have a conversation with my subconscious when I'm sleeping? You know what I'm talking about, right? But but, but, but the, the, the way the subconscious works is someone has to indoctrinate you into making that thing a value. And literally Solomon, and this is a word for parents right here. Proverbs 4, verse 1 to 7. This is what Solomon says. Hear, my children, the instructions of a father, and give attention to no understanding, for I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. Here it is. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one in the sight of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, who? David let your heart retain my words keep my commandments and live get wisdom get understanding do not forsake it do not forsake her she will preserve you love her and she will keep you wisdom is the principal thing therefore get wisdom And all you're getting, get understanding. It goes on to literally Proverbs 1 to Proverbs 10 is a father instilling that the most valuable thing you can ask for my son is wisdom. Drilled it into him so much that even in his sleep when God appeared to him, the one desire that he had was wisdom. See, I commend you, Pastor Brent, for having this conversation because we have a responsibility to our children and to future generations to so instill in them the value of wisdom in a generation that has learned to prize foolishness. Do you know that literally the stupidest things that you do are the ones that get you the most prominence in our generation? And so that's why we as the church have to wage a good war and re-rally people around the value of wisdom. And that's what this is about. So David, right, the father, a warrior, David, a warrior, so set up his son. He didn't say, my son, get war skills, get whatever it is. No, he said, hey, my son, I'm a warrior. I have fought. I've done." David was one of the greatest warriors. But he says, hey, for you, the next generation, I want you to ask for wisdom. Because when you go back to the story of David, every single time David got a promotion, the, 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 preceding, the scripture before that literally says, hey, and David behaved himself wisely. And people would rally around him. So he understood this true story. PB, I don't know if you remember this. We were standing right there. I think it was the first or the second day like of kind of hanging around. To, uh, and I was asking, I was like, what is the one thing that you always pray? Like, what's a part of your prayer arrangement? I used to ask him a thousand and one questions that literally this man just poured out. And he told me, he was like, every single day I ask the Lord for wisdom. Do you remember that conversation? He says it's his daily prayer. Every day I ask the Lord for wisdom. The book of Proverbs says, by wisdom, a house is built. And then you wonder why you guys are literally stewarding and part of a movement in San Antonio that's lasted over six years. It's because the foundation of this house is wisdom. It's because your pastor sees the value in wisdom. That even in 2021, when wisdom is not the in thing, he will put an entire week to speak about wisdom. But that's what happens, right, when fathers see the value of wisdom and they instill it to their sons. And the main reason that I want you guys to get this is because you getting and placing a premium on wisdom isn't about you, but it's about future generations. Yeah. See, I think one of the most incredible, like I love, I love studying American history, philosophy, cycle. It's like this incredible nation and everything. And I think one of the most profound. Leaders was John Adams, right? The second president of the US. And this is what he said. And when he said this, I was like, no wonder this nation is so great because the founding, founding fathers understood the value of specific things. So he was writing to his wife, Abigail, and this is in 12th May, this is in 1780. So he had gone and he was like in Paris and he's looking at all these things and he sees all these incredible things that he has. This is straight up boo talk right here. He's talking to his wife. He's like, I could fill volumes with descriptions of temples and palaces, paintings, sculptures, tapestry, porcelain, ETC, right? He's looking at an established culture and he's seeing all these things that they have. He's like, if I could have time. He's like, I could fill volumes if I could have time, but I would not do this without neglecting my duty. Listen to this. The science of, my, of government is my duty. It is my duty to study more than all the sciences. The art of legislation and administration and negotiation ought to take place. Indeed, to exclude in a manner of all other arts. I, listen to this, must study politics and war that my sons may have the liberty to study mathematics and philosophy And my sons ought to study mathematics and philosophy, geography, natural history, naval architecture, navigation, commerce, and agriculture in order to give their children a right to study painting, poetry, music, architecture, statuary, tapestry, and porcelain. So this founding father understood, he's like, no, listen, If I start studying all these other things, I'm neglecting my duty. My duty is to study war and politics so that my children can study the things that help build a nation so that then their children can study art and and all these other things. Do you understand that in this particular generation, you have a responsibility to study leadership and to study politics and to study war, like spiritual warfare, so that you can instill it in your children so that they can then rebuild what we have lost in this generation so their children can once again live in liberty. We have a responsibility. David understood this and he passed it on to Solomon, right? Pastor Brent's gonna talk about then between Solomon and Rehoboam to where wisdom wasn't prized and because of that, the next generation lost some things. When a generation doesn't value wisdom, we lose things, right? Listen, there's this story that I heard, which I thought was incredible, because it says there was this one guy, I'm still placing a value for this, and we're gonna get into the technique. There was this one guy, and he was like a sensei, right? Think Yoda, think like old school, awesome, you know what I'm talking about? And so he was, he was, um, he was teaching his, um, let's say, okay, let's go with that, Star Wars. He was teaching his Padawan, right? And he's teaching him on, on warfare, but he was always super cryptic like Yoda, and he's like, I want you to learn how to fight but I want you to be a man of peace. So his, his protege asks him and says, hey, why is it that you're always teaching me warfare but always telling me to be a man of peace? He's like, and I thought it was profound, and I feel like it applies to this generation. He's like, because it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. And I feel like that is the indictment on this generation, that we have raised a generation of gardeners. And a war, literally a war is brewing for the very soul of our nation and things that we believe in, and we have no idea how to fight. Come on. But PB just imported an African warrior with the photo proof right here to teach you guys how to beef. Come on, somebody. And it's generational. The premium is generational. So here it is. If I were to summarize in one statement, here it is. If wisdom is the legacy, if wisdom is what you pass on to your children, warfare is the cost. If wisdom is the legacy, warfare is the cost. It's going to cost you doing a war to live a legacy of wisdom for your children. So here's the the question, how do I fight? This is where we go deep, right? How do I fight? I'm old school, let's go old school. How, how, How do I fight? I understand the value for it. How do I fight? Spiritually. Genesis 27, verse um, 5 to 27. I'm going to paraphrase, but basically it's a story, and uh, there's two brothers, Jacob and, uh, and Esau, right? And um, the father is about to die and leave his blessing, and the blessing was super important in this because it set you up for a trajectory, right, of, of success. And so the father says to his firstborn, which the blessing of the double portion would always go to the firstborn, but what the father didn't know is that this guy had already sold his double portion portion to his brother so now the brother could get the blessing because how it used to work is you had to have a birthright and when the father was passing he would speak a blessing and the blessing would latch onto the birthright and then you would be blessed so that's why Jacob the first thing that he did is he had to secure the birthright right he secured the birthright by trickery and I feel like Esau sold him the birthright because Esau knew that there's no way that my father would bless you would give you the blessing over this birthright. So I literally just got a, a free bowl of soup. You know what I'm saying? That's how he was kind of thinking. So anyways, now his father's like, hey, I'm about to die. Why don't you go get me some food so you can come back and I can bless you, right? That's how the story goes. So he goes out there, but his mother overhears him. Listen to this. Um, now, Rebecca was listening to Isaac, spoke to his son. And when Esau left, Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, look, I ever heard your father say to you." To your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare some food. So he says this, now go out to the flock and bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give his blessing before he dies. What's happening? It's a mother setting up the son, the same thing that David did to Solomon, right? To win over one other son, which is pretty messed up. But hey, (laughs) that's the way it is. Favor ain't fair. You know what I'm talking about? And then Jacob said to Rebecca, his mother, my, my, my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and I would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, my son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say and go and get them for me. We we're having a conversation with uh, Mama Joyce earlier. It's like, just do what I say. How many parents would you say? Just do what I say, okay? We'll be good. And he went, and so what happens is he goes and he kills this, this, um, this animal, and then he takes the skin and he wraps it around him, and then he takes this dish that his mother prepared, and his dad eats it. And then, right when he's that kind of meat induced coma and he's happy, he's like, Come over here so I can uh, bless you, right? And then, um, right here, it says, Verse 22 Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat, so I give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went and kissed him, and Isaac caught the smell of his clothes. He blessed him. So what happens is he comes and then he puts on his brother because his brother was hairy so he puts on all the skins and the father is like his eyes were dim and his face with a predicament he's like now I know this is not the voice of my firstborn son but he feels and smells like my son and so he blessed him and so he blessed him. So what is the strategy? It's very simple. In order for him to get his blessing he wrapped himself in his older brother. And the moment he wrapped himself in his older brother, he became in right standing with his father. And whatever he asked for, he was now in right alignment with his father, and the father granted him because he was wrapped in his older brother. See, that right there is what the gospel is. That is the essence of righteousness. The fact that we have been brought near by the blood of Jesus and in Jesus, when we're wrapped in Jesus, when we stand before the Father, He doesn't see us, He sees His Son Jesus because His blood covers us. And that means because we're wrapped in our older brother, we get the benefits. Of yes and amen. That's what the Bible says. It says God's promises in Christ, in this jurisdiction of in Christ, when you're covered by your older brother who is Jesus, right? Whatever you ask, the promises of God over your life are yes and amen. Yes and let it be so. Not because you're good, not because you've earned it, whatever, but because his son is good and his son has earned it. And as long as we're covered in his son, we have right standing before him and everything that we ask for is granted to us. This is what 1 John 5 says. It says, this is the confidence that we have that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And this is how we know that we have the things that we ask for. Because we ask in accordance with his will. In Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. When you're covered in Christ. Listen, here's, this is profound. Listen to this. Do you know that in Christ, you don't get a new relationship with God? You get Jesus' relationship with his Father. You inherit the perfect dynamic of relational rectitude with a God who cannot look on sin. That is the power of the covering. Are you making this up? I promise I'm not. Check this out. Romans 13 verse 14. This is what Paul says. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's about identity, right? Put on your older brother, right? That's what pleading the blood is about. See, I know some, if you grew up Pentecostal like me, right, you're told you plead the blood over everything, right? You overspend and you get an overdraft. I plead the blood over my account. That's not how it works, right? That's not how it works. Pleading the blood, the blood is is literally what gives you access into this dynamic, into this relational dynamic where you stand. You have access by grace through faith into this dynamic where you stand. So what you're doing is when you're pleading the blood, you plead the blood over yourself, and you say, Father, I thank you that the blood of Jesus cancels out all these sins. Because here's how it works, right? God doesn't look at unrighteousness, right? Sin separates. We know all of those things to be true experientially. So what happens is when you come before him and you've sinned and this, without it it's supposed to be holy hands, have been doing all sorts of weirdness, right? But when you come and stand, you say, Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over me. And what that blood does is it watches you clean and it makes you in right standing with Christ and then wrapped in Christ, you can approach the Father. And in that place, whatever you ask for, in that place, you can do warfare. All right, listen to this. Um, you put on your elder brother. Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18. I'm gonna give you guys a context for what this looks like. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Everybody say, put on. put on. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I also heard this to where like every morning when I was growing up, Pentecostal. That's why we need good, good biblical teaching Right? My mom would be like, okay, you have to stand up and go through the whole armor and say, I put on the helmet and I put on the armor and, I, and you say all these things and there's value in that. But here's how it works. It says, put on the whole armor of God and you may be able to stand against the wiles of the enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So the fight is real. Amen. Hey, it's not, it's, it's not our lawmakers making laws which oppress our values. It's a higher fight. It's a heavenly fight. It's not your, your boss or it's like whatever. It's, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but the wrestling is there and we are in the fight of our lives, right? It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. What is the armor for? To stand. What is the armor for? To stand. It doesn't say to fight. It says the armor is to stand, right? Because our fight, our most violent position is positional it's standing in him what are you talking about stand therefore right having girded your waist with truth who is the truth everybody say jesus Jesus. the first one's free right having put on the breastplate of righteousness who is our righteousness okay you guys get it and having your feet short with the proper preparation of the gospel of peace who is the prince of peace who is our peace come on above all taking the shield of faith faith in who that you'll be able to quench all the fiery diets of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation. Salvation, who is it by? Jesus. And the sword of the spirit reaches the word of God. Who is the word of God? Jesus. Jesus. So you put on Jesus, literally. And it says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And being watchful to do this with perseverance and applications for the saints. It's not so you can go out there and swing in the air. You put on Jesus. You put on the full armor, you put on Jesus. You wrap yourself in your older brother and you stand in the righteousness. Not works, but in the righteousness that is provided for you and you do warfare, right? So here's the strategy. It's very simple. Number one, put on your older brother. Everybody say, put on your older brother. (laughs) Number two, stand firm in the word. That's the clap back, come on. And number three, pray. That's it, that is the strategy. You stand, right? Ephesians 2, right? We're sitting in heavenly places with him. there's a, So we, we, we are in him. And in that place, you put it on and you say, Jesus, I, you are my righteousness. And because of that, I can approach the throne boldly, right? And then you stand firm in the word and you pray. The clapback, it's funny. I, what is the clapback? I, I, I saw this recently and I thought it was um, it was cool. Come on, Urban Dictionary. That is where you should not go for um, for definition, but it says to respond to an insult by answering while clapping your hands in the rhythm of your words in order to add emphasis. How many of you guys have known this? Listen, you know what I'm talking about. That's called the clapback. And when I say standing in the Word, I feel like that's what Jesus did when temptation was coming against him. He had the divine clapback. Do you guys remember what the clapback was? It is written, right? It is written. That was his. Jesus could have called angels and everything. He was like, but whenever temptation, whenever the enemy came, his clapback was. Literally, I see him with his long hair putting in a man and saying, listen, man bun. It is written. And that is your primary weapon. Remember, it says the word of God is the sword of the spirit. It's not your sword. It's the sword of the spirit. The spirit takes the word that you've hidden in your heart. Then he uses to combat things. There is nothing more powerful in this world than it is written. Because the word of God, when he spoke things into existence, they stand. So that's what you do. Your clapback to everything is it is written. That's why you cannot compromise on the word. Because the word is your bill of rights. You understand what is yours. Whenever you get in trouble, you get a lawyer. Do you know what a lawyer is? A lawyer is basically someone who's read more than you on the law. That's literally what it is. You're paying someone to read for you. If you don't like to read, you will pay someone to read. That's why we go to doctors. That's why you're just paying someone to read the type of reading that you didn't want to do. That's what it is. So you have to be versed in the word because the word is the weapons of our warfare, which are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You know that scripture, right? So you take the word, and this is right here. uh, Verse 12, the passion translating, sorry, uh, Matthew 16, verse 19. The passion translation says this perfectly. It says this perfectly. And this is what it says. And he's talking to Peter. We know the story, right? And this is what Jesus says. He says, I will give you the keys of heaven's kingdom realm to forbid on earth that which is forbidden in heaven and to release on earth that which is released in heaven. The whole premise of Jesus' prayer was on earth as it is in heaven. And what, is, what was Jesus doing? He would literally come and enforce the constitution of heaven on earth's jurisdiction. So, for example, he'd be walking, and when someone came into his vicinity, this is what the kingdom was, and that person was inconsistent with the realities of the heaven that he came with, he would speak to that thing and command it to align, and that's what healing is. It's like, wait a second, there's no healing in my Father's kingdom. I'm sorry, there's no sickness in my Father's kingdom. So be healed. And he would align this earthly reality with the heavenly reality. And that is how we do warfare. We go into the Word and we find the things which are unequivocally true about our situation. And then we command those things to line up with that truth. And that is what kingdom authority is. That's what warfare is. Simple. You do that with your finances. You do that with your marriage. You do that with your health. You find the promise. And you, you speak to the problem and command it to align with the promise. When you do that, things happen. That's all it is. That's all it is. And finally, we're about to do this. We're about to do this. And if you guys don't mind, can we have um, some people to just, um, uh, our worship team back up here. So who do we fight for? Who do we fight for? Because sometimes it's like, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? I don't have a, I mean, I've, I've already placed a value in fighting for our next generation. But I love this part of scripture because it always reminds me of Pastor Brent. And when you read this, you will understand the ethos of what this house is all about. So this is Nehemiah right here. And there's been a threat against the enemy, against rebuilding the walls and and, and everything. You see the parallels with our generation and our nation. He says, so I stationed armed men behind the wall in the lowest places. Ooh, I could preach all day here at the open positions where it was least protected and I stationed the people in families everybody say with families with swords spears and bows listen this war isn't just a war for you over your children this is a war to where you train your children to fight with you right and it says, in families, when I saw their fear, I stood and I said to the nobles and officials and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and fearsome and with courage from him, fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Now, when our enemies had that, they knew their plot against us and that God had frustrated them, we all turned to the wall, each one to his work. And from that day on, everybody say from that day on. Half of my servants carried on the work with the other half held the spears, shields, and bows, and breastplates. Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that everyone with one hand held a weapon and they built with the other. And every builder had his sword secured at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet to summon the troops stood at my side. And I say to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive when we're separated on the wall and from one another. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet... Gather us to there, our God will fight for us. From today onwards, every single one of you, you go home and you fight for your children. You fight for your families. You fight for the things, the good things that God has given you. And every Sunday, you rally here with fellow fighters and believers. And you get energized and you get strengthened and you go out and do it again. The world isn't coming in here. So that means we have to go there and whenever there's a gap, there's some of us here who work in healthcare. If you see that there's a gap there, what you do is you stand there. You and your family you wake up and you pray for that and know that there's someone else who's a teacher who's stationed in a place and they're doing that. I was talking to Joyce and Javier and the part of the place where they leave, I was like, are you guys light in that darkness? And they're like, yeah, I think that's God's strategy. Wherever they are, they stand in that place and they fight in that place. You fight for your children and your sons and your daughters and your good thing then you rally here every sunday where the trumpet is blown and you celebrate your victories and there's some of you who maybe that week was hard and they got more wounded than everybody else and you lay hands on them and you encourage them and you pray for them and they go out again back to that place where god has stationed them because the time of peace is over the moratorium is over we have to fight and defend the things that we love so if you guys don't mind could you stand up right um right now and for the next two minutes i'm going to teach you guys a technique and we're all going to do it together so remember it's very simple right you come you wrap yourself in your older brother and then you take the word and you stand on the integrity and the efficacy of the word and all the promises and you begin to declare them over your situation so here's an example how many of you guys here either know someone or maybe Or someone is like, listen, the battle is coming. You are always just one call away from the call. How many of you guys know that? There's always a call to where before that call, everything was okay. And after that call, my world literally crumbled. And I know that here, some people received that call last week. And I'm not trying to scare you, but some people are walking into that call this coming week. And when all the music and the lights fade away, I'm giving you the tools to where you know exactly what to do. When you hang up the phone and your world is falling apart, you find the promises of God. You go to Google and say scriptures about whatever this looks like. You write them out or you print them out and you go to war. How do you do it? We're going to do it. So basically right now as they kind of um, lead us in, we're going to do health, right? And I've got three scriptures for you and I want us to do this. So we're going to pray for health and how we pray is very simple. We always pray from a place and a stance of thanksgiving because remember, it's already done in Christ. We're not begging him. We're not, it's already done in him. So a lot of our prayer looks like standing on what he's already done and thanking him that he's already done it, right? Listen to this. For health, Exodus 15, 26. This is a promise. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the God who heals you. So right now, I want us to do it. Just begin to open your mouth right now and just begin to thank him. Say, Father, I thank you that you're the God who heals me. We're doing it. Everybody, open your mouth. Everybody right now. Begin to say, Father, we thank you. I thank you that you're my healer. I thank you that the word says you're the God who heals me. I thank you that the word in the book of Psalms... We're praying. We're praying right now. We're praying. I thank you that in in the book of Psalms, your word says that you're the God that heals me. I thank you, I thank you that my healing is secure. I thank you that this sickness is a circumstance and I thank you that your truth say that you will put none of this. A thousand may fall to my side and 10,000 in my right hand. These are scriptures that I'm quoting, but I thank you that you've done this. I thank you, Jesus. Here's another one, Psalms 107, verse 20. We're still going. It says he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them from their destructions. So Father, I just come before you and I thank you that you've already sent your word. I thank you that my cousin is healed. Begin to speak that over a situation. Someone who's not feeling well. I thank you that this cancer is not my cancer. I thank you that this cancer is healed. I thank you that your word says that I'm healed. Father, I thank you. Do you see what's happening? This is you in your living room, reading these promises and saying them back to him in a place of thanksgiving. This is how we fight our battles. Come on. Come on. And he says, and he was pierced for our transgressions; he, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. So this is for someone, maybe you were in promiscuous activity, or maybe you feel like you deserve, maybe you would not lay off the sugar and now you have diabetes and you feel like you deserve it. But this right here says the punishment was upon him and by his stripes you are healed. So he say, Father, I thank you that I'm a part of a new bloodline. Say it with me. Father, I thank you. I bless you. I worship you, Father, for your healing. I bless you, Lord God, and I thank you right now that the punishment of what that I deserve fell upon your son and by his stripes that I walk in healing. And you begin to pray like this. And you can do this over finances there's scriptures and everything. But here's what I'm saying to you guys. This is how we do warfare. So father i just begin to lift up your um your hands right now and just begin to thank him father i thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your spirit. I thank you that you have given us a sword and a shield. I thank you that we exist in a generation to where it's already done. Father, I thank you that we didn't stand and fight for our children and our families and our wives and our daughters. Thank you that you've given me good things and the ability, Father, to stand. Therefore, I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you for the blood of your son. I thank you that I'm closed in the righteousness of God. I thank you that I am the righteousness of God. I thank you that I'm a part of a new bloodline just begin to open your, your mouth right now and just give him thanksgiving. One more minute, one more minute, one more minute. And say, Father, I thank you. I thank you that the situation doesn't define me. I thank you that I don't have to fear or run from the future because you've already secured the future in my past. And you've given me the promises, Lord God, to wage a good warfare. Father, I thank you. Father, I bless you. Father, I worship you. I honor you and I adore you, Lord God. And just take 10 more seconds and just thank him right now lift up your voice in this place and just thank him father i bless you i worship you i thank you for your goodness i worship you and i bless you in jesus name father i just commit your children before you right now father and i just bless you and i thank you that you have given them everything that they need for life and godliness and may this word take root in their hearts to where when the life when life hits them at the speed of life, they would remember this word and they would learn how to do warfare. That they would value wisdom and live it as a legacy for their children. I ask and I thank you for this incredible opportunity to be a part of this house and to speak here today. Go with your people and lead them to victory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.